This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. As I hope you already know, February is American Heart Health Month. This is a great opportunity for all of us in the industry to promote the importance of health properties of blueberries. Throughout this month, USHBC will be sharing recipes, nutritional information, and other content to reinforce blueberries as a deliciously simple, snackable, and healthy option. This is the first of six power periods that are a part of Grab a Boost of Blue that you already heard about a couple of episodes ago. Join us in this effort by downloading your free toolkit at ushbc.org forward slash resources. The love and the nutrition and the health halo for blueberries is not confined by any borders. At the USHBC, we're dedicated and focused on spreading the message about blueberries around the globe. And when you look at these regions and opportunities around the world compared to better known commodities, we're just getting started. Today's another installment in our international series with USHBC NABC Vice President of Global Business Development, Alicia Adler. Alicia, glad to have you back on the show. Hi, Casey. Thank you. And congratulations on your uh, recent achievement of 10,000 downloads. Oh, man. That was pretty exciting around Right. Here. Yeah, great. I, I think it was pretty remarkable for a new show born out of a global pandemic to try and rally the industry on inspiring possibilities when getting together is impossible. Uh, no, it was a fun, fun milestone. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, well, to everyone. And thanks to everyone who, as a guest, and certainly those of you who have been helping drive those numbers and, and certainly drive the attention to what I think has been a great connection point for our industry. But, you know, we've also uh, been traveling, so to speak, virtually across the country recently. For those of you that have been participating in our town halls, that has been a fantastic way, of, again, of getting together when we can't, uh, and just has been a real opportunity for us to kind of have that kind of coffee talk environment with council members. So I appreciate you traveling around the country with me this past week. We've got a couple more here ahead. Yeah. I mean, they've been really interesting. I've been surprised at how different they are. I mean, each state has its own uh, character, uh, culture, <laughs> character, culture, um, issues, concerns, yep. and priorities. And so it's been a really good way for us to hear what the grower community um, needs when they typically aren't always able to travel to our meetings in person, that logging on to a video conference is not always the most personable, <laughs> but it's very convenient. So we've really appreciated hearing from everyone and joining and yeah, I mean, we're, we're not done and we're kind of moving our way through. Yeah, well, and, and like you said, it's been, you know, our most recent one here with Michigan was a great example of how the conversation just continues. We we're scheduled for an hour and we almost went two when talking to folks who stayed on and wanted to talk about how important this industry is and what we can be doing to drive this category. Well, as you probably remember from episode 30, we're doing an international series in the early part of this year, which will include three episodes featuring USHBC programs around the world. We highlighted the Indian market first, and now we're turning our attention to South Korea. 
Alicia, before you introduce today's guest, I'd like to hear your perspective. Give us some background on this market opportunity there in South Korea. Sure. The South Korean blueberry market has grown significantly over the past 10 years since the market opened for fresh blueberries and since the U.S.-Korea trade agreement, commonly referred to as CHORUS, went into place. USHBC has promoted blueberries since the beginning. We've been active in the market in various ways with an emphasis on fresh blueberry promotion in the summer months and frozen polybag blueberry promotions year-round. In 2020 alone, we saw exports of U.S. frozen blueberries increase 43% over 2019, in large part due to consumer demand for frozen fruit products to boost immune support, which blueberries is a great source of immune-boosting nutrients and the reduction of the tariff that made them more affordable, of course. Um, we, you know, we can't deny that the trade agreement between the U.S. and Korea really was a catalyst for export growth for blueberries and many other agricultural products. We've also seen a five-year increase in fresh blueberry exports, making it the largest export market in Asia, which is pretty remarkable given that only the state of Oregon can ship fresh blueberries to Korea. So the exporters that are approved for export and follow the strict protocol that Korea requires have had success in developing the market, and we've seen that growth. And you've been there. Uh, I, in fact, I remember I was in Malaysia. You had met up with our group in Malaysia coming from South Korea, right? Yeah, that was about two years. No, yeah, that was in 2019. Yeah. And, and everything seems like a lifetime ago when we were able to travel so easily. But yeah, I mean, I, I've been to Korea many times. Seoul is one of my favorite cities in the entire world. And I really enjoy meeting with importers and retailers. They're very forward thinking and they're great to brainstorm with and very open to new merchandising ideas. So yeah, Korea is one of the first places I will go to once I am able to leave the United States and leave Sacramento. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I remember the enthusiasm coming out of that trip and I think, you know, Korea continues to be a big opportunity for us. Before we dive in with our first guest, I wanted to note that our final episode in the series after this episode will be about new initiatives in our global food manufacturing program and ways to get involved. We just wrapped up our global opportunity assessment. We are excited to share the information, data, and analysis with the industry. We will be sharing that this year. And you know, in our podcast episode, I want to bring on guests that we can discuss the data and findings and also get from a food manufacturer's perspective, how the global market for ingredients is changing. So that's what's coming up next. But today we're talking about South Korea and the opportunity for frozen blueberry exports. We have with us Jeff Peterson and Tyler Norris from Columbia Fruit. Jeff is the grower relations manager and has been with Columbia Fruit for 10 years. He works with growers to make sure they are GAP certified. They work on sustainability efforts and ensures that they are compliant with export protocols. Tyler has been with the company for going on two and a half years. He was served in the military for uh, nine years after graduating from the University of Texas in Austin. He served in the army and worked as a information technology officer spanning countries such as Qatar and Afghanistan. So I did want to say that we wanted to invite you on here. You know, through our program in Korea, we are able to see the exporters that are supplying the country. And so, you know, your fruit has been part of our promotion 
and our retailers often speak of Columbia Fruit. Welcome, Tyler, Jeff. We're excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you having us. Yeah, thank you. Maybe a good place to start is talking about Columbia Fruit's export program. Previously, you were talking about your IQF business and quality. I imagine that has really contributed to your success in um, your export business. So how much of your business is export and which global markets have you sold to in the past and which ones are you currently export to now? So we're roughly 10% or so um, exporting mail. The largest markets for us are definitely Asia and Australia. We do a few other countries, very little, a little bit into Brazil, a little bit into the EU at times. But for the most part, I would say Asia and Australia are where that 10% of the business goes. And then I would assume Korea is a large aspire within Asia? Uh, Yes, ma'am. So Korea is by far our largest one over in Asia. And what would you say, from your perspective, what has driven the growth in the frozen market? I mean, we've seen a few peaks in the past, but over the past several years, I would assume it was in large part due to the tariff reduction, but also you know the rise in demand and consumer awareness of frozen fruit. From your perspective, what would you say has been the largest driver and kind of your experience over the past uh, several years working on it has driven that growth? I think you hit it a little bit earlier, Mel, when you said they're forward thinking. It started off relatively small. You get them a quality product and you get them year after year and it just, you know, it works well for everyone, right? It works well for them, it works well for us, and it works well for their customers in Korea. And how do Korean buyers, like their specs differ from other markets? Is there a wide range in preferences and in demand from the retailer side? So I I think their retail specs for the most part is what in the United States people would sell as premium grade A or, you know, premium blueberries, but it's definitely more strict than like the USDA grade A. Well, Tyler and Jeff, we're really looking forward to hearing about your experience with South Korea. But before we dive into that, I want to take a quick break for our crop report. As listeners know, this time of year, we check into important blueberry growing areas like Peru, Mexico, Chile. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry areas around the globe. Today, you'll hear from Juan Saria Morales in Mexico, Luis Vegas in Peru, and Isabel Rutia in Chile. This was recorded on February 10th, 2021. Uh, good morning, everybody. This is uh, Juan Soria from Maneberries, and I'm going to provide the report for the production of blueberries from Mexico. Uh, this week, the exports are very stable, showing a minimum increase of around 5% compared to the week fourth. In the week fifth, we exported a total of 3,066,000 pounds. Of this volume, a total of 2,920,000 pounds were exported to the North American market. That includes the United States and Canada. Export season to this date for us is equivalent to 39 million 121,500 pounds total. Compared to the season 2019-2020, the volume exported to the United States is around 18% higher. This will be the report from Mexico, and thanks a lot for uh, your attention. Hello, everybody. This is Luis with the crop report from Peru until the end of week five, which is the week ending in February 7th. So Peru is reaching the end of its season. And up until this point of the season, Peru has has shipped a total of 352 
million pounds of fresh blueberries, which represent 98% of our forecast for this season. Well, this total amount represents an increase of 32% in volume compared to uh, the last season. During week five, Peru has shipped a total of 1.2 million pounds, which is a slightly minor volume compared to the same week last year. Again, Peru is reaching the end of its season. We are expecting similar volumes compared to the last season until we reach the end of the Peruvian season. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. I'm Isabel from iConsulting. And I'll give you the crop update of week five for Chile. Uh, week four was highlighted by high export volumes, which reached uh, 19.2 million pounds, with the 88% of the season progress until week four and 29, according to the original estimate. The effect of the rains will be reflected in lower export volumes during week five, due to the cleaning of orchard and lower packout percentage during that week. In addition, a smaller drop is also projected in the final state of the Chilean season due to the early end of harvest in some orchard after the rain. With this, it is estimated that 4.1 million pounds will not be exported in fresh to the markets. Despite this, the, the final estimate for the season remains unchanged at 245.8 million pounds since the region that were most affected by the rains had already reached the initial projected volumes. This is our update for the week. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks again to our colleagues from around Latin America who take the time to participate in these crop reports. Speaking of blueberries around the globe, Alicia, Tyler, Jeff, let's talk about South Korea. Maybe give us a little bit of a background on your decision first. To, I think you said at the top, Jeff, that you were talking about making sure that there are these extra opportunities so that you're willing to put the effort into working with growers and making sure that the MRLs are in the right place to be able to access these markets. But what's your motivation for these markets? What are you seeing about Korea export generally that motivates you to go offshore into these other markets? You know, When did this start? What was the strategic plan on your part? Well, I guess with all the blueberries that are going in the ground, we see the future, you know, the United States isn't going to be able to consume all of them until this year with COVID comes along and teaches us different. Even the buyers got caught on their heels this year a little bit just because things were moving faster than the past years. And it used to be that we would fill out contracts and sell fruit in September and October like crazy, and the rest of the time it was gone. But now the buyers kind of sit back and buy as they need. This year, it didn't work out as well. But here in the Northwest, the growers are very good to cooperate. A lot of quality growers here, uh, they take it very serious and it's their livelihood. Sure. But it's a lot of extra work. Your job's dedicated towards making sure that they hit benchmarks and expectations for these export markets. And as you look at those opportunities in these other markets, what is that conversation like between you and your growers on this vision that you have at Columbia for export markets like Korea? Well, the growers are excited to see an export opportunity open up just for better market opportunities. Every year we're asking for more fruit. We haven't stepped back at all. I guess annually increasing by 10, 15% as far as blueberry needs. 
the biggest challenge to get overseas or to get into Asia are the MRLs and the changing MRLs. They're constantly changing. You have to keep up with the Bryant Christie database. A lot of good information on there as well. Well, and I was asked a question too about, especially this year, since there was really a spike in demand for Frozen, we were getting questions from buyers making inquiries for Frozen to operations outside of Oregon. And what I realized is that there's a perception that both on the fresh frozen and ingredient market, they can only source from Oregon. But that's really only for fresh blueberries. Our export database, you know, lays out what the requirements are. But it was an interesting dynamic over the past really six months where several frozen suppliers were realizing that, oh, Korea is an option if you're supplying blueberry products other than fresh. So when you're selling frozen blueberries, you know, they don't have to be grown in Oregon. I mean, you can source frozen from other states as long as you're selling them as frozen products. In another, you kind of touched on it with MRLs. I mean, Korea is in transition to a a national list of MRLs. They've moved away from Codex, which is the international standard for MRL residues. And many countries, including Korea, are moving away from it. So currently, we're in year three of a transition period. We got a three-year grace period to establish permanent MRLs. Obviously, you know, the fresh industry really needs to pay attention to this. This is the last year where we will be able to use the temporary MRLs. USHBC is working on establishing permanent MRLs based on US or at least codex standards. We hope to have those priority chemicals established by the end of this year. But in terms of planning for the frozen market, can you talk a little bit about do growers have to be mindful of them if they're selling for the frozen market? We come out with a list of MRLs and the countries that we're trying to export into. And I get that to my growers. The growers go to an agronomist or one of their spray companies and they submit the list and go from there. It's all timing and application. I guess I have a question. What was the reason that South Korea is getting away from Codex? That's a really good question. (laughs) I mean, it's a trend, you know, arguably MRL policy can be a trade barrier, but they have their own scientific analysis of residue and how clean they want their fruit. And I mean, we all know that the residues on agricultural products are very minimal. I mean, that's what they're essentially testing is what's traceable on the product. And the entire world is becoming more sophisticated in residue testing overall. And they're wanting to set their own standards based on what their own scientific and health community prefers. So it is a trend and something that we need to be aware of because the more differences, the harder it is to grow and consistently rely on these export markets because you have to grow each production area differently. So that's something USHBC is prioritizing. Along with our promotion, raising demand, we also have to make sure that growers have all the tools and information they need to be able to consistently supply these markets because without a consistent supply, it's going to be really hard to meet the demand. I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, specifically over the past year, 
You know, USHBC has a promotional program in Korea. Like I said earlier, we promote the fresh crop in the summer. It's really eight weeks of promotions. We only promote US fruit when we're doing fresh promotions and as well as frozen. But over the past five years, we've really built up our frozen program to the point where it is at least half of our promotional budget. Promoting frozen fruit is not as common in Korea. When you walk into a a store in Korea, it's usually fresh produce that's frozen. So it's fun working with the retailers to kind of find new ways to get consumers into the store. And then obviously in the past year, it's been online. But from your perspective, when working with your buyers, have you had experience or discussion about the promotions? And have you seen a direct impact from promotion of product? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we really appreciate that promotion this year. That was that was amazing on our end. Most of our Korean buyers, they're, they're very good at forecasting demand um, and shipment schedules. Obviously, it takes time to get around the world. After your guys' promotion ran, they definitely came back and asked us to get some more on the water rather quickly. So it set up their shipment schedules and it, it also brought them back to us looking for additional loads of blueberries for that market. At the USHBC level, I mean, we're working with buyers, but we don't, you know, have any role in who they source from or how they procure product. We do verify that they are sourcing from US suppliers, but that's really the extent to which we do that. However, you know, we do see who's supplying, you know, when they're advertising online or they're promoting in store, we see the label, we see the companies involved. And it's always really positive when we see multiple companies that are essentially their fruit is supplying for the promotion. So that was how, you know, Columbia Fruit came into, I'm like, okay, this is a company that is supplying the market. Their products are consistently involved in our promotions, among other companies in the Pacific Northwest too. There's multiple suppliers of frozen blueberries that are going to Korea. And the promotions we've really been focusing on lately are online promotions, you know, especially within covid we are really restricted in what we can do in store. So the activities we've done in store are mostly display merchandising support. We've built some really beautiful displays, especially for the fresh in the fresh produce section. But then online, putting frozen blueberries up in center when consumers go to shop online, which has been a, a global trend, not only in North America, and making sure that blueberries are the top of the page. So I think that's really what has driven the sales from that. And that's what kind of triggered this spike. In talking to the retailers too, you know, this is a category they want to grow. It's something that they can consistently rely on. It's obviously more shelf-stable than fresh produce. And they're seeing their customers not only buy frozen blueberries, but what it's done for other products as well. So, you know, in my experience, the retailers are, are in it for the long haul and they really want to grow the category. You know, as as your team at Columbia gets together and you envision the future uh, and you look at the export opportunities ahead, what's that discussion looking like today? I mean, I think you hit it a little bit earlier, sir. We we would like to see a 10, 15% growth yearly. We definitely continue to make sure that our growers are giving us the opportunity to see that growth. With Columbia Fruit and the consumers over in Korea, it's more... I hit it earlier, we're a family business, but we treat them like family as well. So um, if they're saying, you know, 10 to 15% and we're saying we can support it, sometimes you have to be realistic with folks. So if they're saying 75% growth or something to that extent, then bad news is better up front. So we let them know that, you know, over a sustained period of time, we can probably hit that number. But 
it's not something that, you know, in 2021 or 2022, we can see that increase overnight. Yeah, well, and I think we've been, you know, needing, obviously, some focus on this. I think, Jeff, you pointed out that, you know, there's going to be this supply curve growing where we need to be aware of where else these markets can be grown around the world. And, you know, I think part of what you're seeing in kind of the, some of the sweeping changes in our export activity under Alicia's leadership and certainly in conversations with the export committee is changes in how we go to market and how we're marketing together as an industry. One of those initiatives certainly has been general consumer understanding in these countries that when it comes from the United States, it's going to be a, a great, safe, healthy product. So, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about where this is going from a marketing strategy, knowing that in these markets, they like to buy USA products? You know, this year, we are launching our USA Blueberry logo. Our marketing will be a lot more origin-based. In the past, we've used the USHBC brand and logo, and we've sometimes had country-specific marketing programs or campaigns. But coming out of last year, and just following a trend overall among US agricultural producers... The USA brand, especially in food and agriculture, carries a premium. And as a recipient of USDA grant funds as well, we're mandated to promote US blueberries internationally. And so in order to really meet that and then leverage that awareness and preference, we needed a really strong logo and brand. And that's where the USA blueberries mark came from. We do also have other editions of the logo with states. And we're able to license the logo, I should note that too, so that it could be put on packaging. But there will be a certification associated with that so that we verify the origin. That'll be used in, in export markets this year so that packers and exporters can use it. It'll only be available for exports. That's important to note as well. You know, And what we're trying to do is associate... USA agriculture, US blueberries, all the way from the store, it'll be online, it'll be in the media, and all the way down to the pack size when they're shopping for it. So it's a big initiative, it's a big change, and we're already seeing a lot of demand for it. It's also a beautiful mark. And so we're really excited to see what we can do with it this year. Yeah, I was just on the phone with a grower uh, this last week, and we were talking about our market export efforts. And that's why I think it's great we've got you know this conversation going with you guys today, but we know other people are going to be listening as to where those inspiring possibilities still yet lie ahead for our industry. And, and you guys have done a great job in helping come alongside us with those opportunities that we see across the globe and just getting blueberries pushed into these countries who, like the West Coast before the East Coast, just haven't had the experience of waking up every morning to enjoy this product. And there's just so many markets out there that we're just getting our, our foothold in. And I just want to reiterate my appreciation for you guys and your commitment that I know it's not easy, Jeff, the work you got to do on the ground to make sure that we're all buttoned up to be able to get into those opportunities. But appreciate you guys doing a good job. Thank you, Casey. Yeah, it's Thank great you. to talk to you both. Thanks for joining us. Yep. It was an honor. Well, Alicia, thank you for bringing this episode together. Great to hear from Tyler and Jeff there at Columbia. You know, this has been a steady march of an effort. All of these are, you know, I think it's important to note that it's not easy getting a market open. 
It's not easy getting the supply to start moving forward into these markets around the globe, but it's a commitment on our part, certainly the job you do for us here at USHBC. But maybe you can kind of just give us some sense of how far we've come. In my opinion, South Korea is a success story of how when policy development happens, deregulation of restrictions, meaning the market opens, combined with market development and promotion, raising awareness and demand, all happen together. The market develops very well and very successfully. And Korea is an example of that with the Chorus Trade Agreement signed in 2008, combined with market access for fresh after that, and then as well as being able to ship frozen and other further processed ingredients. And then all at the same time, ramping up our promotional efforts to make sure that consumers and buyers are aware of product availability and the benefits of blueberries. You know, as a result, South Korea has emerged as the top export market in Asia for fresh blueberries, as well as frozen, overtaking Japan, which has been a longer export market and more mature market for blueberries. So from my perspective, where we're headed next is we need to open the door for more states so we can get out of this two-month window of supply on the fresh side and give consumers a longer period of supply window from the U.S., That's what we're focusing on on the technical side is addressing those issues and opening that window and also dealing with the regulatory issues and specifically the chemical residue barriers and then getting more consumers to demand and eat fruit more consistently around the year. And they're at this point really going to be able to do that from our frozen supply. It's a compounding effect that we can have. And that's the focus here is we need these markets to you know, remain a healthy industry globally. And certainly that's a, a focus that we'll continue to commit to. So it's great to have those guys on, you know, sharing their example of, I think, a, a real bullish opportunity that is taking place there at Columbia, but certainly others that are taking advantage of these opportunities as well. I was excited to hear them talk about how growers are excited and how growers in partnership with their packers, with processors, are able to work together and take advantage of these opportunities because consumers around the world want U.S. fruit. And to be able to meet the requirements is a hurdle. It's a barrier. But if those that can overcome it, there's opportunity and growth and demand. So it's a light through what we're dealing with right now in the industry. Yeah. You know, and I think what we're dealing with is a need to push blueberries into the hands of more people who haven't yet got to experience what we've been seeing. And this is a commitment on our part at USHBC to help realize those opportunities. So very exciting. And that's it for episode 34. If you're interested in learning more or you're excited about what the export process might bring to you or your business, be sure to go back and re-listen to episode 11 with Alicia and Stacey Spivey or episode 30 with Raj and Don talking about the market there in India. And please continue to share this episode with friends and colleagues interested in our business, the business of Blueberry. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on the business of Blueberries. I think it's because I'm from California. I know you guys are, you know, you don't want us. I didn't realize you're from California and we don't want you up here then.
<laughs> you need to strike that one out of there, please. Do not air that. 